We are now living in this time of trouble. If there was ever a time where people could easily lose their way to Christ or just quit their faith, it would be today. There is a power move that is being made by Satan and his demons as the final stages of mankind's existence are being set. So much technology, so much earthly power, yet nothing can stop what is happening at a global level that is affecting people at a personal level. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. As part of today's message, we'll be looking at the different reactions people have towards Christ. Some react favorably, some neutrally, and some negatively. But we do need to keep one thing very clear in our minds, that our reactions, whatever they may be, do not affect the gospel of Jesus Christ, but rather our reactions to Him determines what happens with each of us now and in the future. God doesn't lose anything. We are the ones impacted depending on how we choose to react. There's always a result to our reactions. Today's message is inspired on the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 1 to 21. Let us go to the Lord in prayer together. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, Mighty God, Creator of heaven and earth. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, that you please forgive my sins and my wrongs, my iniquities, O Lord, for the things that I understand that are wrong and for the things that I don't quite yet understand. Heavenly Father, I pray for your mercy, for your grace. I pray, Heavenly Father, Holy God, in the name of Jesus, O Lord, that you may please guide us, O Lord. Help us, O Lord, to understand. Help us, O Lord, to be able to take in your word, Lord God, as it is. Heavenly Father, help us to get away from any preconceived notions. Help us, O Lord, to be just open to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's key passage is from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 1 to 21. This is the word of the Lord. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and, gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, 
They came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers, and in the marketplace with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. As we read through the passage, we can see how different people react to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people and their reactions are obvious, while others need to be inferred, but it can be done quite logically. If we had to label the different folks, we could propose the following the persuaded, the non-persuaded or irritated, the indifferent, the inquisitive, and the determined. Now, the view we will take of this passage can also apply to today's environment because in that regard, nothing has changed. People are people and the same reactions still happen today. So keep an open mind to not just view this as something that happened in the past, but also something that is applicable today and that you definitely can belong to one of the groups of people described, which is the purpose of this exercise, if you will, to see where you stand personally with the gospel, with Jesus Christ. The purpose is not either to label. I know that no one likes to be labeled, especially in this day and age. So we are merely attempting to somehow structure the conversation, if you will. Let's start by defining the persuaded. The persuaded were the folks that listened and believed in Christ, and these folks were both Jews and Gentiles. In other words, both Hebrew and non-Hebrew people. We read that both men and women came to believe in Christ. Now, this persuaded group could have taken on two dispositions over time, either growth or complacency. During the early stages of our faith in Christ, there is a period of growth before we start serving the Lord because we're all called to follow and serve the Lord, not just to have a stagnant or immobile belief. But if a person stays in the just belief state, if you will, and they don't start serving the Lord, they could just become complacent. And that happens, unfortunately. There are many people that just change religions that go from one to another, but there is no reality of Christ in their lives, no real change or transformation. They are just there going through the motions. I think we can all agree that there are those that truly follow the Lord and are just in a growth stage, and there are those that are just along for the ride, if you will. The second group we can notice is the non-persuaded or the irritated by the gospel. And these are the folks that are so bothered and annoyed by the gospel that they do not only just believe, but they feel compelled to persecute those that do believe. And they do all kinds of evil against the gospel, against Christ. Now, even though they could do all kinds of things against the gospel and against Christ, that doesn't mean that they should be counted out. If we recall history, Paul, 
the one that is being persecuted in this passage, was one of the non-persuaded or irritated by the gospel before he had his personal encounter with the Lord on the way to Damascus. Paul persecuted the church immensely. And so folks in this group of people could either be pending conversion or perhaps never persuaded. By pending, I mean that something has not quite happened yet, but may happen at some point in the future, similar to Paul. But there is also the possibility that some could never listen and oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ until their bitter end. The third group of people we're going to look at, although they are not readily noticeable, but rather are being inferred through the passage, are the indifferent. Those were and are people that may hear and see what is going on, but their attention is elsewhere, or they're just not paying attention and uninterested. These folks could also have been or are either pending or also remain as never being persuaded. There are people that are indifferent to the gospel because they either feel comfortable in their fallen state or are unaware of their fallen state or nothing earth-shattering has happened in their lives where a definite need has been generated. The truth is that rarely will anyone consider anything in the gospel unless they're dealing with something that is overpowering them, either some sort of suffering or hardship or grief, or when they are unable to reconcile something in their life. The Bible makes mention that when people are going through something difficult is when they will turn. As it is written, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Affliction is many times necessary in order to impact people. So this group of people may either still be pending or, again, may never be persuaded either. Now, there is the inquisitive. We see the inquisitive reflected in the philosophers and those that spent their time looking for new things. And this group of folks may have had people also that were not ready to listen yet, that their hearts were not yet at a place where they felt a deep need for something. So they could have been also folks that are in a pending state, that something needed to happen to them that was life-changing at some point. Or also, they may have just kept looking for the sake of looking and they could have never found their way because they never came to understand the value of the gospel. These kinds of folks may just be too earthly-minded. These may be people that do not find the ability to understand the impact of sin out of choice, the reality of the penalty of sin. And we know through the scriptures that the impact of sin or the wages of sin is death. That is what happens when many people, and that's why they don't come to Christ for salvation, because they don't want to see and understand that sin does cause death. And the worst death of all, eternal death, eternal separation from God. And now let's take a look at the last group, at the determined. This group of people could either continue abiding or quit at some point. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible gives us indications of those that kept going and being faithful until the end. But there were those also that fell by the wayside or quit the faith. They found that they could not continue anymore. This, for instance, happened even during Jesus's time while here on earth. John chapter six says this, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? So you see, even those that were following him left him at this moment, and only the twelve remained, at least that is what we can gather. Now, even though it does say that Jesus knew that there were some who did not believe, speaking of the larger group of people, they were still his disciples for some time. They walked with him. Jesus knew. But did any of the twelve know also? And as we know also, there was the issue that even one of the twelve would betray him, Judas Iscariot. We are encouraged in the Bible to abide, to keep going, so it's not an automatic once you come to Christ that you are ensured that you will keep going because that is ultimately a personal decision. God will never force anyone. As mentioned many times before, it is a relationship based on love, and in love there is always choice. John chapter 15 says this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. The Bible also uses the analogy of a race that we need to keep running it with patience. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And so we see through this passage that we need to lay aside every weight and to run with endurance. And it talks about looking unto Jesus and that we should consider him, speaking of Christ, and that we have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin all of which reflect decision, choice, and personal will. We are called to salvation, but it is our choice to listen, to obey, and to continue following until the end. The Bible teaches us that we need to overcome if we truly want to attain through Jesus Christ eternal life and eternal reward. Revelations chapter 21, verse 7 and 8 says this, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The Bible also teaches us that he will get rid of the lukewarm, those that are still indecisive or try to straddle the line between God and the world for a prolonged period of time. Revelations chapter 3, verse 14 to 22 tells us this, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I could wish you were cold or hot, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me refined gold in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So you see, a person cannot be indecisive for long because then sooner or later, God is the one that will decide if they stay or go and that he will vomit out those that choose to be warm. And just because he says that he would wish more for some to be cold does not mean that the cold will be justified through Jesus Christ before him. He just explains that the lukewarm are more detestable to him than anything. It's like marriage. A lukewarm person in a marriage would be a person that actively cheats on their spouse, but yet puts up an act and makes like everything is okay. They try to cover up the cheating and treat the other person like a fool. And the cold person would be the person that cheats on the other, but makes a decision to leave their spouse. They don't play the deceit game. But regardless, even though they're not playing the game, the marriage is still ultimately broken. The only marriage that works is when two people are fully committed in love to each other, and they are both willing to go through whatever circumstances to stay together against all odds, and of course, remain faithful to each other. The Bible also teaches us that we must endure temptation. James chapter 1, verse 12 to 15 says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. In this particular instance, the type of temptation mentioned is singular, and it relates to the temptation of quitting the faith. God will never tempt you to leave him, and God actually never tempts anyone. Satan is a tempter, and he is the one that will try to pull all kinds of temptations so that you ultimately give in to the main temptation, and that is to abandon God, to leave Jesus Christ and the way to salvation, to just give up. That is what James is talking about here, and that's why we need to be so careful. We cannot take things lightly and least of all for granted, and this all bears on one thing, on your decision to continue moving forward with the Lord, not to quit, not to give up, not to give in to everything that is around us, despite the circumstances, despite the hardship and the pain. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 to 15, gives us a picture of what this decision is like, where Joshua was telling God's people to make a decision, to be decisive in their pursuit of God, where it says, now therefore fear the Lord, Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. 
And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So there is choice. If there was ever a group of people that could have been said that were predestined or set apart for salvation, it would be God's people in the Old Testament, the physical children of Abraham. But we see here that this is not the case. These people had to make a choice, just like we need to make a choice today and remain faithful to that choice. Now, why is a choice more important today than ever before? We are more and more at a crossroads where a decision must be made. Circumstances are harder than they have ever been because as a society, as a civilization, we have entered the period of the end times. If you are paying attention, you will notice that we're living during unprecedented times. And these are not necessarily a product of a political party or anything else that is similar. The earth itself and everything that is happening all around us is showing us that we are nearing the end. And it's not a global warming thing. There is something greater and deeper that is occurring today that has never occurred in history. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 to 3 tells us this. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We are now living in this time of trouble. If there was ever a time where people could easily lose their way to Christ or just quit their faith, it would be today. There is a power move that is being made by Satan and his demons as the final stages of mankind's existence are being set. So much technology, so much earthly power, yet nothing can stop what is happening at a global level that is affecting people at a personal level. Daniel chapter 12 verse 4 also says this, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. The running has started, where millions of people are starting to take flight, going from place to place with the hope that life for them will improve, but it will not. There is nowhere that we can go on this earth that will change our personal circumstances significantly. There is no money or fame or power that will help avoid what is coming upon every man, woman, and child on this earth. The rich may be rich, but that will not stop the plague and sickness from coming upon them by touching their lives. All power is shattered before the reality of nature and personal devastation. And fame can only become your worst enemy by making all of your personal problems public for all the world to see and by drawing towards you those people that have evil intentions. And of course, nothing of human or temporary existence can help anyone have the eternal life and eternal reward that can only be found through Jesus Christ. You can't buy that. You can't work your way into heaven all by yourself. You can't muscle your way in. There is no technology or science that can help you figure out eternity and how to attain it without Jesus Christ. There is no spaceship you can ride in that will help you escape the inevitable. That is why today more than ever is your reaction to Christ and the gospel so important. 
There is no time in history like today how you react to the gospel of Jesus Christ will determine not only your here and now, but your eternal destination. The question is, who will you choose to be in the end? Are you part of the non-persuaded or irritated by the gospel, probably being annoyed by the sound of my voice right now? Are you part of the indifferent, those people that may be listening right now that are saying within themselves, yeah, whatever, John. Are you a part of the inquisitive, those people that are searching and looking for new things, new ideas, but never fully understand and want to commit to Christ? And it's not just some form of entertainment? Are you part of the persuaded to believe in Christ, but maybe have become complacent and just religious, just going through the motions, but not really living for Christ? Or are you of those that desire to be determined in your pursuit of Christ, placing your eyes on Him, looking to be guided by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God? I hope for your sake that you have not only been persuaded to believe in Christ, but also to have a true, genuine, and living relationship with the Lord, allowing yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, despite the circumstances. This is the only way to salvation. Like we saw before, it is not just about believing. There must be a determination, a following, an endurance, an abiding in Christ so that the eternal can be gained, so that the race can be finished and completed. Otherwise, there can be no salvation, no redemption. We need to overcome not just the world and its temptations, but mainly the sin that still dwells within us. That is by far our worst enemy, the evil within our members. The good news is that we do not need to deal with this alone. Through complete repentance and conversion from sins and unwavering faith in Jesus Christ, we can have the Holy Spirit live within our lives, inside our hearts, and He will help us overcome through the knowledge and application of the Word of God. We cannot live the true Christian life on our own. We need God's help, God's strength, and God's knowledge to be able to overcome all of the odds and attain, as the Bible says, the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. We need to grow more and more in love with the Lord because loving the Lord with everything we are is the only way that we will fulfill God's will. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, blessed God, merciful God, loving God. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ. I give you thanks for your gospel, O Lord, for they are words of life. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks because you give us the opportunity of salvation, of grace through Jesus Christ, of having the forgiveness for our sins, Lord God. I pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, that we may react to your word, to your gospel, the way that we need to react so that we can truly benefit from it, Lord God, so that we can truly have that eternal life, Lord God. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that are yet searching or yet have not come to that relationship. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you may be able to touch their hearts. I pray, Heavenly Father, you may help them to open their minds, O Lord, and to understand. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, minister to your Holy Spirit to them, Lord God. And I pray for those people, Heavenly Father, that have made a decision to follow you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we may remain steadfast, immovable, Lord God, unwavering in our faith in Jesus Christ. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we might be able to abide until the end, until we see you face to face, and until you, we hear the sweet words where you say, 
good and faithful servant. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks and I praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes Store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.